Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Will you join us as we sing the beautiful star of Bethlehem? Oh, beautiful star of Bethlehem, shining before through shadows dim, giving a light for those who long have gone. And guiding the wise men on their way Unto the place where Jesus lay Beautiful star of Bethlehem shine on Oh beautiful star of Bethlehem Shine upon us until the glory dawn Give us a light to light the way Into the land of perfect day Beautiful star of Bethlehem, shine on. Oh, beautiful star, the hope of light, guiding the pilgrim through the night, over the mountain till the break of dawn. And into the light of perfect day, it will give out a lovely ray. Beautiful star of Bethlehem, shine on. Oh, beautiful star of Bethlehem, shine upon us until the glory dawn. Oh, give us a light to light the way unto the land of perfect day. Beautiful star of Bethlehem, shine on. Beautiful star, the hope of rest For the redeemed, the good and blessed Yonder in glory when the crown is won For Jesus is now that star divine Brighter and brighter he will shine Beautiful star of Bethlehem, shine on Oh, beautiful star Shine upon us until the glory dawn. Give us a light to light the way into the land of perfect day. Beautiful star of Bethlehem, shine on. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song, this cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless faith, this gift of life and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid here in the 
As we approach the Advent season, as we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, this is the cry of the children of Israel for their long Messiah. Think about that as we sing, will you? O come, O come, Emmanuel. Okay. 
Savior and 
by God, with Christ my Savior and my God. Amen. You may be seated.
Bibles to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And find your way in John chapter 14 to the 27th verse of John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace in Christ alone. And thank you, uh, Terry, for sharing the beautiful gift that God has given you with us this morning. Thank you, choir. Uh, for singing the beautiful gifts that God has given you. Thank you, Jason. Miss Linda, for, for leading this morning. Thank you for singing, It Is Well With My Soul. Now, I say this all the time because I always forget about one, but that may very well be my favorite hymn this week, is It Is Well with my soul. We may do How Great Thou Art next week, and I'll say, you know, that may be my favorite hymn, but uh, it is well with my soul when peace like a river attendeth my way, and sorrows like sea 
billows roll, whatever my lot. Thou hast taught me to say it is well, it's well with my soul. And in this Christmas season, in the second week of our Advent, we turn to the theme of peace this week. And what a more fitting song I think has never been written uh, than when peace like a river attendeth my way. Advent, so, so this year we're going to look at the Advent theme each week as we build up uh, to our Christmas service. Advent simply means, for those of you who don't know, looking forward to the arrival of someone prominent. And for believers, for Christians, for the church... And really for non-believers as well, if you get right down to it, the coming of Christ is without a doubt the most significant arrival that this world not only has ever seen, but will ever see. The arrival of Christ is the greatest advent, the greatest looking forward to the prominent figure to come. So last week we looked at hope in Christ alone and the fact that because of that little baby born in a little manger... That wouldn't stay a baby, that would grow into a man, that would be our Savior. Because of that little baby, we have hope that is eternal and everlasting. It's found in Christ alone. It's not a fading hope, not a changing hope like what is found in this world, but an eternal and secure hope found in Christ alone. And this week, we're going to look at the idea of peace and peace that is found in Christ alone. So let us take a few moments to just look at that word peace and that thought of peace. Now that word is thrown a lot, uh, thrown around a lot by the religious community and the secular community. Seems like uh, a lot of people wish for peace on earth or peace in this land or peace in that land. People wish for peace with each other. People seem to wish uh, for peace for themselves, peace in my own life. But the peace that they generally refer to when they make this statement is what I would call an incomplete Peace. It's a peace that really is not so much a, a peace as it is an absence of the external circumstances or an absence of our external troubles. In other words, uh, people tend to gauge peace in a land by the absence of war. So they would say, if we're not at war, then we're at peace. They would absence. They, they would they would reference peace in a society. By the absence of disruption. So as a society, we're at peace because we're not quarreling with one another over this or that. They would call peace in a marriage by, well, well the husband and wife are not quarreling with one another. So our marriage is at peace. And so they, they would weigh peace by the absence of trouble, basically. So when things are not going bad, we're at peace. And that's how people begin to, to kind of gauge it. But peace throughout history is quite elusive. And the reason that it's been elusive for the world is simply put because absent from God, there is no real peace. There simply is no peace that lasts apart from God. And people look at a lull and turmoil as, as peace, but that peace pales in comparison to the, what we're going to look at today. And that is a peace that's found in Christ alone. You know, in the Old Testament... They use a word for peace in the Hebrew language called shalom. They still use that word. And it's a greeting used. And when people say shalom to one another, they're not saying, Shalom, I hope that you're not fighting with your wife today. Shalom, I hope that you're not having financial trouble this morning. Uh, when they say that word, it's a greeting. When some, a Jewish person would look to another and say shalom, what they were literally saying is, I wish for there to be a completeness and a fulfillment in your life. 
A completeness and a fulfillment in your life. A peace in your life that only comes when you're completely content. In the New Testament, the word for peace is also often a word called aranaphrom. Now, none of you need to learn how to spell it. I don't know how to. But I can tell you what it means. It's a description of a tranquil or satisfied state of the soul. So think about that word for peace. See the difference between the biblical definition of peace and the world's definition of peace? The world says peace is to be without conflict, without trouble, without unrest, without stress. Peace for the world is found in the absence of something. And though that may be the world's idea of peace, it is an incomplete idea of peace because the Bible says peace is in fact not the absence of trouble or the absence of anything. It is the presence of of something supernatural, and that is Christ. The Bible says that peace is to have a satisfied or completeness in your soul. And the only way as as being created by God that we get to that place of peace is to find it supernaturally in Jesus Christ. So please stand as we honor the reading and teaching the holy words of our holy God from the Gospel of John chapter 14 in the 27th Verse on this subject, the peace in Christ alone. John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. Let's pray. Father God, we ask that you would do what only you can do this morning, and that's dwell among your people. God, we ask that you bind any spirit from this place that is not your Holy Spirit and that, God, your Holy Spirit would run rampant among us. God, I believe that your spirit has already settled into this place in our worship time. God, as we worshiped you through song, I pray that it was glorifying to you. And God, as we continue to worship through your word, my prayer is that it too would glorify you and you alone. God, call us to a peace that is supernatural and found only in you. And we will give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all things. And it's in Christ's name that we pray this morning, as all God's people said. And you may be seated. Now keep in mind, in John chapter 14, as we get to verse 27 of John chapter 14, let's lay a little context for where we're at. Jesus is on the verge of what is possibly the most distressing and disturbing time in history. But definitely in his earthly walk, what is the most distressing and disturbing time of his existence walking as a man on this earth. In a few hours from this point in which he shares this with his disciples, in just a few hours he is going to die a bloody death on a bloody cross. And Jesus, as he sits here with his disciples, knows that this death is imminent, that this death is coming. He doesn't only know that the death is coming, he knows that it's going to be coming in this punishing and gruesome execution style. He not only knows that this death is coming and the way that it's coming and that it's imminent and that it's upon him, but he knows that at the end of that physical punishment, he's going to be separated from his father for the only time throughout history for a moment as he endures the wrath of God upon the sin of man for all of eternity. Jesus, as he sits with his disciples, knows that this hour is coming. He knows it's imminent. He knows that it's just around the corner. John chapter 13 through John chapter 16 
Chronicles, Jesus in the upper room with his disciples celebrating the Last Supper. In the upper room, he makes many promises. He makes many thoughts known to his disciples. He gives them many commands and many things. And this morning, we hone in on one of those things that he shares with his disciples in these chapters. And that is his promise to them of peace. Of a supernatural peace. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look really at three aspects of this supernatural peace. The first is the source of peace. But I want you to think as we dive into this. If you knew. If you knew that in less than 24 hours. You would be doing what Jesus was getting ready to do. Would you be able to spend your time wishing peace for everyone else. In the midst of your turmoil. Or would you be selfishly hiding away trying to enjoy your last few moments? And that's where we find Jesus. And not only is he sharing that with his disciples in the upper room, but he's sharing that through the Gospel of John, says, with all who would believe. And so that's for us today. This verse is for us today. The first thing we're going to look at about this piece is the source of the peace. The source of the peace. Early in verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. And so where does this peace come from that Jesus is talking about? Well, it comes from Jesus. He is the source. This is a gift from Jesus, not a a command. This is a deposit that he makes on our behalf, you might say. It's not a command to his disciples. He doesn't say to them, peace, when you go and find it, will come to you in some way. He doesn't say to his disciples, listen, peace will come to you in some fashion once you've checked enough boxes off or once you've made enough phone calls, wrote enough letters, prayed enough prayers, peace will be to you. No, he gives a, a, a deposit or a gift. He says, peace, I leave with you. It's something that I'm giving you. And so what is this peace that he's giving to us? What what is Jesus talking about when he says, you have this peace that I give to you? Well, if you look in Romans 5.1, you don't have to turn there. But Romans 5.1 gives us an idea into that. It says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, I'm going to give you this peace. My peace, I'm going to to leave with you. And in Romans 5.1, we see a description of what that peace is. It comes when we're justified by faith through Jesus Christ. We're justified to the Father. And so, but it starts, Romans 5.1 starts with the word, therefore. Now we know, or you should know, as long as you've been here by this point, I always point it out. Every time you come to a therefore or a but or in so much as, it should be a bridge word that tells us when it says therefore, we need to look before it and see what's he talking about in light of what. And when it starts in Romans chapter 5 with the word therefore, he's referencing the end of chapter 4. And what Jesus is doing at the end of chapter 4, Paul is writing to him and he's telling them about Jesus going to a bloody cross. About Jesus dying for our sins. About Jesus taking our punishment upon his body there on Calvary's hill. And so Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, so in light of what Jesus does on Calvary's hill, you can be justified and therefore have peace with God. So what did we have before we were justified? Justified is a fancy word for saved or considered no longer guilty of our debt of sin. And so if we have peace after we are justified, then that should tell us that before we're justified, before we're saved, we had conflict with God. We had a conflict with God. No peace. Romans 5 and 10 would say, in fact, that we were enemies 
of God before we were justified. So in other words, because of sin, because of its results in humanity, because of its results in our lives, because of its results in this world, we have a debt of sin that must be paid. And until we have accepted what Jesus did as our payment for that sin, we have no peace in our lives. We cannot be at peace with our Creator until we accept what Jesus did on that cross as our propitiation or our payment for that debt of sin. There is no peace with God where there is no forgiveness of sin. None. See, we were created to glorify God. And because of sin, we miss that mark. And that puts us in conflict with God because God must punish sin. Not God can punish sin, not God may punish sin. God must punish sin. In fact, God is so holy, he can't be where sin is. And so as long as you're choosing to wander through your life paying your own debt of sin, your life is going to be in turmoil because you cannot glorify God while you glorify yourself. And so you're not going to be doing what you were made to do until you've accepted Jesus Christ to cover your sins and put you in a place of peace with God. I don't know about you, but I'm quite thankful that my source of peace is not found in me. I'm quite thankful that peace is not found in my deeds or in my abilities or in my works. Because quite frankly, if my peace was dependent upon me, I would fail miserably every moment. I know me. And while there's nobody in this room that likes me more than me, there's nobody in this room that knows me better than me and knows what a failure that I am when it comes to living to the standard that God has set forth for me to live by. Nobody knows me better than me and knows how miserable I am to know that if my peace and my security were rooted in my ability, I would never live in peace because I cannot live to the standard that God expects of holiness. I don't have it in me. But bless God, my peace is found in Jesus Christ. My peace is found in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, God reconciled us to himself. In verse 19, it explains further that in Christ, God reconciled the world to himself by not counting our trespasses against us any longer. He was counting them against Jesus at that point. When you accept the precious blood of Christ as your payment for your sin, your trespasses no longer count for you. Jesus has already paid for them. And that is why we can experience that supernatural peace. Now think about that. Think about that in relation to a worldly peace. Worldly peace is temporary. It is fleeting. It lasts for a moment. But the peace of Christ is eternal. It is forever. It is secure. He doesn't reconcile us for a moment. He reconciles us for an eternity. Think about that with me. Jesus didn't go to a cross to pay a sin debt for a moment. 
He went to a cross and paid a sin debt for an eternity. He didn't go to a cross and pay a sin debt that would only last as long as you were fresh on your trip to the altar. He went to the cross and paid your sin debt for anything you'd ever done, anything you hadn't done, anything you were going to do. And in fact, beyond that, even more importantly, he paid it because you were created sinful and he reconciled you as no longer sinful for an eternity. The precious blood of Christ is not a sometimes kind of peace like what the world offers. It is an eternal peace. It is an eternal peace that says no matter what my circumstances are, my peace is found in an eternal promise that Jesus made that if he goes to prepare a place for me, he's coming back to get me to take me to that place. Think about that. My peace is found not in my circumstances. Worldly peace is found in circumstances. When a land is not at war, they're at peace. When a marriage is not fighting, the marriage is at peace. When your relationship is not in a quarrel, you're at peace. But what happens ultimately? In every land, another war comes. In every marriage, another fight comes. In every relationship, another quarrel comes. In every family, another problem arises. And so if your peace is built on those external circumstances, it is temporary, it is fleeting, it is for a moment, and it is not everlasting. But if your peace is found in Jesus Christ alone, then let the cows no longer come home. Let the crops die. Let everything in this world fall apart. My peace is not not found in this world. My peace is found in an eternity in heaven. If everything on this earth falls apart, it flat don't affect my peace because this is not my eternal home. I'm just passing right through. Everything can fall apart here. I am looking to heaven for my peace. And that is why the source of my peace is in Jesus Christ. If I put the source of my peace in anything else, it is fleeting and for a moment. But if I put my peace on the peace of Jesus Christ alone. It is eternal, everlasting, imperishable, will not go away. No, no scheme of man. No scheme of hell. No principality of darkness. No trick, no deceit can pluck me from the Father's hand. And my peace is found in Jesus Christ alone. My peace is not found in when things are going well. It's when things seem to be going bad that I can look forward and say, I got a home in glory land that outsides the sun. And I'm going to see it one day. I know I'm going to see it because Jesus said he was going to build it and he was coming to get me. He's got it ready for me. And that's where my peace is found. First, we look at the source of our peace. And that's Jesus. Now let's look at the specific kind of our peace. This peace in Christ is a specific kind of peace. He says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives you, do I give. Now I kind of got excited a minute ago and kind of stepped all over this point just a little bit. So I'm sorry. Sometimes I get tore up when I talk about Jesus and I just keep going so second point will be really short you can be glad we've already preached most of it the peace that Christ offers us when Jesus Christ is the source of our peace it's a, it's a peace that transcends you might say or is above the peace that the world offers the world's peace is superficial 
It's really peace from ignorance, you might even say. And, and here's what I mean by that. If all conflict from a person's life were gone, if you could wave the magic wand over your life, if somebody could wave that magic wand and say you will no longer experience any troubles and any conflicts, everything's going to be great, you'll have no sickness, your finances will be in order, nobody will be mad at you, Nobody's gonna go, you're not going to do anything wrong, you will have no more conflicts for the rest of your life. If that person were able to live that life absent from all conflicts, they might from a world standard say that they had a peace. But do you know that if they didn't know Christ, they would never really have peace? Because they wouldn't be reconciled to their Savior, their peace. They would be in kind of a pacified state, I would like to call it. And some of you may say, when we think of the devil, we think he's a bad dude, right? He's a tempter. He causes strife. He causes enmity. And the devil can certainly, you know, wreak havoc. He's been doing it for a long time. But don't you think for a minute that the devil won't pacify a person's state either. Make them feel like everything's hunky-dory and okay so that they don't turn to Jesus Christ, so they don't realize that there's still turmoil in their lives. And so you could have someone on the brink of hell in, in worldly peace and miss out on recognizing where his soul was for eternity. And so that's what I want us to notice. The peace that Christ offers it's not that kind of peace. It's not a peace from temporal things. He says, the kind of peace that I offer is not what the world offers. It is an eternal, everlasting kind of peace. So first, we look at the source of peace. It's Jesus. Second, we look at the specific kind of peace. It's not the world's peace. But finally, I want to spend a moment looking at the searching for peace. Looking at the searching for peace. Now, I know some of you heard me say that. And you said, wait now. Back in point one, you said it was a gift, not a command. Now you're telling me there's searching going on. You're starting to contradict yourself. No, I'm not. Give me a minute. I just wanted to pique your interest so you'd listen try to catch me slipping. I know some of you came in this morning and said, I'm going to catch him. And you probably will if you try very hard. But let me show you what I mean. Look at the end of verse 27. Jesus does kind of give us a few directions, doesn't he? Peace I live with you, leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. With all these promises of peace, all the promises of peace, we as a church said amen when I said our peace was in Christ alone. We as a church all stood in agreement when I said the source of our peace is Jesus Christ. None of you rebutted the statement when I said eternal peace and eternal security is found in Christ. None of you would argue the point if I stood in the pulpit and said we have a promise of peace in Jesus Christ. It is a gift that he gives to us and not something that we must earn. It is an eternal peace found in Jesus Christ. All of us would be in agreement. Is there anyone in the house would raise their hand and say that they don't believe that the Bible gives us a promise of peace in Jesus Christ? Of course not. We would all be in agreement. Yet, with all of these promises of peace, is it not the reality that many of us live lacking peace in our lives? Sure it is. With all of these promises of peace that we have in Christ, it is a reality that we live lacking peace 
in our lives. Can I get an amen on that one? Anybody else live lacking peace in their lives on occasion? So there's a promise of peace, but there's also a command to stop being troubled and stop being afraid. And here's what, here's kind of what I want you to think about. It's kind of like saying the cupboard is full, but you still need to go get the food out. A cupboard full of food does no good if you're willing to just let it stay in the cupboard, does it? You won't be full if you don't go to the cupboard and get the food out. He promises all the resources to heaven, but he says we need to ask in his name. He promises to reveal to us the truths of the scripture, but he also commands us to study to show ourselves approved. Psalms 34, 14 says, seek peace and pursue it. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gives us some commands. He says, this is in his Sermon on the Mount, he says, stop worrying about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear, tells us not to worry about tomorrow. And then he goes on and tells us to think about the birds of the sky and the plants of the field. He says, are they not cared for? Are they not adorned beautifully in that field? Are the birds not fed every time they're hungry? And then Jesus goes on to ask this question. If God so cares for the birds and the plants, will he not care for you even more so? Will he not take care of you even more so than the birds and the plants? Because he created you in his image. You were, you were meant to glorify him on this earth. Will he not take care of you more so than the birds and the grass? Who can add a single cubit to their lives? Who, who can add anything to their lives with worry? Who can bring anything positive to their lives through worry? Who can, who can take worry and make their life better? Nobody's the answer to that question. You can't improve your life through worry. Now, we preached a message on Matthew chapter 6, and we talked about the difference between looking forward as you should and worrying. But I, I would define worrying this way real quickly just so we know, so you can take it with you in case you weren't here that Sunday night. Sinful worrying happens when you find yourselves wrapped up in concern for things that you can't change anyway. When you spend your time spinning your wheels worrying about things that no matter what you do, you're not going to change the outcome, that is a sinful worry. Those things are in the Father's hands and you ought to leave them there. And to do anything else is sinful. And so he says, don't, don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. Peace I give to you. But you got to take it. You got to recognize that I give it to you. And you got to stop letting your heart be so troubled and so worried and so consumed and so caught up in all of these things. You got to quit focusing on the temporal, temporary things that are fleeting and focus on the eternal thing that will not pass. You got to focus on Christ. And there is one critical component to peace in our lives. 
that we see summed up in this, and that is faith. We got to have faith if we're going to have peace. Faith says, I can go to God in the midst of my troubles because I believe in his power and in his provision. And that, my friends, is peace. I think about my children. Kaysen may be getting old enough that he's starting to realize that daddy ain't Superman. But for my other two, my other three, really, but the other two, my bad, forgot one. <laughs> she don't know nothing about peace yet. I assure you that. For, my, for, for Carter and McKinley, I'll start naming them, I guess, instead of counting them. For Carter and McKinley, no matter what is going on in their lives, no matter what problem they have, they know they can come to me and they can say, Daddy, this is it. And you know why they come to me? They have faith in me as their father that I'm going to fix it, that I'm going to make it better. I might not be able to make their scratch go away, but I can give them medicine to make it better. I might not be able to take all their pain away, but I can hold them and hurt with them. And that's how we have to be with our Heavenly Father. We have to have such a childlike, blind faith with God to believe no matter what is going on in our lives. I have the faith and the power and the provision of my God to go to him and say, God, I'm hurting. God, I got a scratch. God, I got a struggle. And have the faith to believe that God is going to wrap me up. And while he may not take me out of the storm, he'll hold my hand while we walk through it. And he may even use it to make me stronger. So how do we pursue peace in our lives? By recognizing the source is in Christ alone. And putting our hope and trust in Christ alone. Many people came here today. And as I've preached about peace, you recognize that in this Christmas season, you're struggling to find peace in your life. And so as we look to this manger in this Christmas season, it's like the video that was shown. We don't need to look only at that little baby in that manger. We need to recognize that he grew and he went to a cross and gave us peace. The Savior of the world was lying in that manger there to provide us a peace that passes all understanding. And so will you trust Jesus this morning? That's my question to everybody here. Will you trust Jesus this morning and lay your troubles at his altar and trust in his provision and his power in your life? And there's somebody here this morning, I don't know who you are, but somebody here this morning who's never placed their faith in Christ alone, who's never accepted Jesus as their Savior. You say, I'm full of trouble. I've had no peace. I've never had a real peace. I want to ask you this question. Will you come this morning and accept the Savior of the world as your Savior? Will you accept that gift of salvation that he offers? And believer, will you trust Jesus with your troubles? Let's pray. Father God.
God, we thank you that you give us peace. God, in your house this morning as we enter this Christmas season, I pray you would compel every believer in this house who came in with a thought of turmoil or inconsistency or lack of faith in their lives. Would you compel them to come this morning and lay that at your feet and say, God, I trust in your provision and your power in this situation. God, I can't do it myself. God, I believe you can. And God, if there be one in this house this morning who's never accepted you as their personal Savior, God, I pray that you would do what only you can. God, I can't do it. Nobody else in this house can do it. Only you can do it. And that is you convict them to their core that they would turn to you and experience a peace that they've never experienced in their life that only comes when you're right with your creator, God. God, you change lives this morning and we will give you the glory. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.